I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is C.J. Gross, author of What's Your Zip Code Story? Understanding and Overcoming Class Bias in the Workplace. Within the past five years, diversity and inclusion, as well as unconscious bias, have been the main drivers of organizational training, politics, and community engagement. But diversity is much more than a buzzword. It propels innovation and problem solving and leads to higher performing teams. CJ Gross offers research-based solutions for employees seeking professional growth and for business leaders seeking new ways to engage their teams. He provides strategies to help class migrants, as he calls them, uh, whether college students, recent graduates, or overlooked employees, climb the career lattice and transform themselves from undervalued employees into respected leaders. He also offers insights to help organizations understand the impact of diversity on a business's productivity, turnover, and revenue. He's a TEDx speaker who's been featured in the Washington Post, the Washington Informer newspaper, and many other outlets. Welcome to the show, CJ. Nice to have you on this morning. Yes, Catherine. Thank you so much for um, having me on. I'm really excited about our conversation. Well, as you have, as you say, and I think I'm quoting you anyway. But uh, I mean, each <laughs> of us, all of us, we have our culture, we have our biases and cultural preferences. Uh, you know, people try mm-hmm. to deny it. We don't. Organizations try to deny it, right? I mean, but let's face it, we all do. We kind of have this xenophobic Absolutely. thing, right? So you say it's time we talked about it. So let's start talking. And I just, I guess the first question is, but I love the, what's your zip code story? Where did you get the title for the book? <laughs> I like oh, it. wow. So, yeah. So, so the title came in when I talked to a colleague of mine years ago. And we were just talking about our upbringing and our experiences. And she said, um, you know, where did you grow up? And I told her the zip code. And she said, oh, I know that zip code. She said, had you grown up in one zip code over or, you know, one digit different, your life would have been different. You know, whether it was getting more resources and um, you know, uh, community support, you know, whatever showed up for you in your, in your neighborhood. Um, or it could have been, you know, not having the support that you did have. Right. And so that was one thing that just made a, a mark, uh, in my mind that, okay, your zip code matters. Um, and so when I started doing research for the book, it was originally just about class bias. And the more I did research around class, zip code just kept coming up. And the United States Census Bureau determines your mortality, your level of um, health, uh, quality of health um, care, your uh, experience with um, crime, education level, income level. You know, there's other factors that the United States Census Bureau determines just from your zip code story, right? And so we all we have that, you know, that thought that, oh, Everyone, everyone grew up in some neighborhood where there was a there was a zip code that you didn't want to be in, and there was a zip code that people wanted to be in, or there was a story about how that you know group of people um, had more resources or was more successful. Or when we were uh, when we were kids and it was Halloween, we knew what neighborhood to go to to get the full candy bars, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it, it it 
it's always there. It's always something that um, is driving us, a conversation. And, and, and so the zip code story is obviously not just about how, just about where we grew up. It's about how we grew up. So it's about those experiences that you had growing up. It's about the conversations around the dinner table. It's about the sights and sounds outside of your door. And this is the backdrop for how we see the world and connect with others. I have a, this is a short story, but when you're talking about what, you know, it, zip code has to do with all kinds of things, right? Healthcare, school system, mm -hmm. everything. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's not just this all-encompassing word class, but when my kids grew up in a suburban, uh, a suburban community outside of Albany, and uh, mm -hmm. what they learned is, you're talking about getting the Halloween candy? If you go to mm -hmm. the bigger houses, you can't get to as many houses as quickly. Better to be in the... <laughs> not so good zip code in the next town over where you could get all kinds of candy right away because houses were close together. Anyway, that's just a little. Oh, aside. see, yeah. Yes. That's, that's yeah. exactly what the zip code story is about. It's whatever yeah. story comes out of that region that creates, you know, direction and, you know, whether you're going to get more candy or not. That's really interesting. Yeah. But, okay, so, but it does, the zip code counts. And we're talking about, well, obviously, uh, you're the expert in terms of diversity and inclusion and equity mm -hmm. and how this relates to the workplace. Um, and I guess tradition, you know, companies will say, oh, you know, we have a diverse population. We hire, HR hires people who have diverse color, religion, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they, once a person is hired, nothing happens once they get into the organization because it really doesn't include inclusion. It may be just right. diversity and hiring practices. So talk to us about that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Catherine. Um, I think that when we look at um, companies who do have, you know, diversity, there are, you know, just about every company has diversity in some way, some form, some fashion. Um, usually when they say diversity, they're looking at a couple of things. They're looking at um, race. They're looking at gender, sexual orientation. Um, but there are obviously other um, forms of diversity. Um, so what happens is I'll give you a case study. So I worked with an um, a engineering consulting firm, um, construction management uh, consulting firm, uh, one of the largest in North America. And they said, hey, we have diversity, but what we, what we find is when we go in and look at the numbers, the diversity comes through the door and stays about 18 months, and about 25% start to trickle off after 18 months, and the numbers just continue to go down. And they leave, and they go to their competitors because of what you just mentioned. Um, there is, there is you know, diversity within the organization, and then there's inclusion. Inclusion happens in different ways. So inclusion is when someone is invited to a, a um, conversation or invited to lunch or invited to a stretch project or invited to a, um, um, to uh, meetings where there's opportunities for growth, just hearing information, right? So that's what inclusion is. But the sense of belonging is also where we fall short within our organizations because in order to get to belonging, people have to feel like they belong. They have to feel like they're not just being a diversity hire. Here, case in point, same company lost a $100 million contract, which they brought us in to try to figure out what happened. And they said, well, you know, the company said that we didn't have a diverse pitch team, which they didn't. They had pretty much all, you know, white men and one woman. And so 
what happened was there was a woman included. She was included, but there was not a sense of belonging. So when they came to answering questions and finding out who was actually an expert on the on the project, she didn't feel comfortable speaking up. She always looked, you know, without even you know, nonverbal uh, communication to look to someone else to speak up to one of her male counterparts. And this is an example of when you can have diversity, you can even have inclusion, but when people don't have a sense of belonging, they don't share their ideas, they don't collaborate, they don't communicate, there's a lack of trust, and ultimately they, they their performance goes down and they ultimately leave um, the company for more, um, sometimes for the same situation, but the hope is that they look for something where they can feel belonging and bring their whole self that includes their ideas and their innovation and their passion and their vision for the organization. And this is, this is where the real loss comes in for companies. So in that case, what did you do? I mean, in terms of strategies to help that particular company. And then I guess another mm-hmm. question would be, how do you well, prevent that the- from happening? <laughs> yeah. When you, before that happens, going into a company or an organization. Well, we look at, so we do assessments, we do uh, training, keynotes, uh, coaching, strategy sessions, uh, e-learning. So these are all tools, right? And so one um, strategy does not work for all companies. So this particular company have major blind spots. And they are, (laughs) I I never say their name because they always use as a case study. Um, And one of the challenges was the thinking. One of the things they said was, um, you know, we can't find people of color and women who want to be project leads or who want to go out in the field and get their hands dirty. And it's just it absolutely was not the case. It's, it was their approach. So we had to change the thinking. We also had to change, and this is huge for a lot of companies, but this one, again, it's a case study for a reason, um, how they source resumes. They only looked at um, the three top engineering schools in the country. 83% of those um, in the C-suite came from those schools. Now, you can imagine going in an interview and you're not from one of those schools, right? No matter what your background or your race or your gender or any of those things, you know, that person's looking at your resume and they're like, okay, cool. This looks good. Asking questions. However, the same um, per- level of person comes in with the same level of experience, same degree, but from a different school in one of those top three schools, that person has a greater chance of gain your entry into the organization and they don't those 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 schools were not diverse so they were not finding diverse candidates and when we when we highlighted this again this is the mindset it needs to change before systems change before organizational culture change the mindset of the leadership has to change because when we took we when we showed them you're not getting the numbers because you are only focusing on the top three where they don't have the uh, demographics you're looking for, they looked at us and said, so you're saying we should double down on our resources for those, for the, for those, those um, schools. And so they, these are engineers. These are people with five-year degrees from top-level engineering schools, right? And so they're not people who are, who are not smart. Um, and so in our organization, what we do is educate people on um, the brain science behind unconscious bias. It's not, it's not, fair to say, hey, you, you're not choosing someone because of your race or your gender or a level of education or your wealth or you know, upbringing, which could be true. But what we really want to focus on is the, the, um, the brain science that's actually making the mechanism behind the scene that's making this happen. We call it behind the curtain. 
And so, especially with engineering companies, any left, you know, left-brain t- operation type of organizations or leadership, they are always looking at the bottom line. So with this particular company, we educated them on the brain science. We also looked at the systems. The systems will always produce what the system is designed to produce. So if it's designed to produce, produce a certain um, you know, gender, a certain race, or a certain uh, school, it will continue to pr- um, produce that. So we did uh, deep work with them. We're still working with them years later. And ultimately, in order for this to shift, we have to have the um, leaders who are diverse and inclusive. When I say diverse, I don't mean like skin color or race or gender. It means um, leaders who have a mindset for diversity. So that means they probably have, um, you know, lived in different countries, have different diversity um, experiences, friends, um, and they can be really any race. They can be any gender, any sexual orientation. The goal is really for them to have a diverse mindset because when they have a diverse mindset, they're more likely to lean into um, communication and, and solving problems across differences, across, um, um, you know, challenges that, that show up in the workplace and especially the ones that are politically incorrect. So that's what that particular organization uh, went through. And we're still working with them because leadership has not changed. That's the, that's the, the main problem. So that's what I was going to, I wanted to comment on that because as a woman, I've gone to many meetings where, you know, the women are few and far between and I, and I, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly as a baby boomer. And I, I, I can tell that the men start talking just sort of automatically, they start talking to one another Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the bias is there right from the beginning. You're so right. I, I think that one of the things, that's an interesting point that the person themselves, I mean, who have all these white men, for instance, who are head of a company, it's in one's nature. You you want to hire mm-hmm. the white guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just sort of mm-hmm. for, you know, for just that base, that stuff that you mentioned behind the curtain, behind the scenes. So the diversity mm-hmm. in terms of their experiences, and I haven't heard, had, uh, heard it said quite that way. I think that is so critical. Well-traveled, well, you know, mm-hmm. c- c- and I guess well committed to the community and different communities, and they bring yeah. all that into the decision making about who to hire. That's that really is critical. Well, well, one of the things we ask, I'll, I'll ask a leader once we get down into the you know really the coaching and the real hard conversations. I always say, you know, who's sitting at your dinner table? Do you have anyone that looks looks like me <laughs> sitting at the dinner table? <laughs> You know, uh, in, in your neighborhood, who's invited over? And this is before, this is after we do the brain science. And you said something. I want to make sure that the, the, the listeners hear this loud and clear. Um, it's not about blame, shame, and guilt. If you grew up white, heterosexual white man, you know, with privilege, it, it, it the goal is not to blame for your upbringing, your background. And I want to make sure that that's very clear because we have. This work has been polarized because of that conversation. The the goal is that to to make people aware that the brain. So we we use the work from Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And he says we have two systems in the brain: the fast brain, where we have all those knee jerk reactions when we were a hunter and gatherer society. That part of the brain engaged bias to make sure that when we went out to be to look for dinner, we didn't become dinner. And that brain, that part of the brain is always going to look for same means safe. Same means safe. 
And whether it's getting on an airplane and sitting next to that's an exercise that we do. Like, who do you sit next to on an airplane? <laughs> and it's really, <laughs> those, those answers are really interesting. And the goal is not to have people feel bad about the decisions that they make, even if they're in theory politically incorrect, because if we don't get down to the base root of the, uh, you know, the genesis of thinking, then we will never get to mitigating the bias. So we have to be honest with our own biases. And then we can say, okay, so if I have a bias for, you know, women who are strong uh, in communication, you know, I need to be aware of that because if I'm trying to hire someone who's going to be my COO, that person's going to be a strong person if I'm looking for diversity. So I need to deal with that internally, and that may take time. And so when, you're, when there's not any opportunities for leaders to ch- shift and change, um, and bring in more leaders, it takes a longer period of time for that to, um, to happen. Who you sit beside on the airplane? I have a little story for that one, too. Because <laughs> my son is <laughs> this, one of my son is a, a white male, I mm-hmm. would say privileged. Mm-hmm. His fiance is Asian, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, she, we always joke because she's Korean, but everyone thinks she's Chinese and we get into all that. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's very funny. So mm-hmm. she was on, <laughs> taking an airlines that the airlines where you don't have an assigned seat. And mm-hmm. she was getting from West Coast mm-hmm. to East Coast. And she stopped and oh, I guess yeah. she had to change planes in Detroit. And anyway, she gets back. She's on the plane and there are like probably 10 or 20 seats available. And an Asian mom gets on with her son who's about 10 years old. And she says, to him, where do you want to sit? You can sit wherever you want, honey, wherever there's an open seat. Mm-hmm. And my my mm-hmm. uh, son's um, fiance is sitting there, and she said, I'm the only Asian, as she can see, the only Asian person. And the little mm-hmm. boy, went, he said, I want to sit there, mommy, and he wanted to sit right beside her. And it sort of just proves your point, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, and, and you know, that is the question we ask. Um, when we first start the unconscious bias, because what it does is allows people to share their biases because they, they feel validated and saying, Hey, I'm on a flight for, as you mentioned, we, you know, say you don't have a seat designation and you're on a five hour flight. Um, and people will always say, I want to sit next to this person who is dressed in a suit because in my mind, they're professional or I want to sit next to, and one of the things I find found out was, and this is really important for people who have different, um, when you're looking at diversity, something that came up for me, which was a blind spot, which, which is a lot of women said, I want to sit next to another woman. And initially I was like, oh, what's, what's going on with that? And so the conversation mm-hmm. came up that um, there are lots of assaults that happen. And whether it's assault or men make, you know, women feel uncomfortable or, you know, things have happened, which I was not privy to. And so just asking that specific question allowed a lot to come up. And as you mentioned with your, um, your son and his fiance, you know, those types of questions are a lot easy to talk about and answer when it's not in the workplace, when you can, you can validate it or you can look at it from an objective place. And the work we do, because again, my background is actually engineering. And so the goal is really to look, to objectify what's happening so that we can fix it. So that we can strategize and come up with solutions that are inclusive for 
all people, no matter what your background, no matter what you look like, no matter whether you come from privilege or in theory or either non-privilege or you're, you're white, black, blue, green, um, whatever your religion is, the goal is for this conversation needs to be inclusive of everyone so that we can solve more problems um, in our organizations and ultimately uh, have better um, leadership and better organizations. So we have to be aware, number one, which is obviously that's what you do, helping people to become aware and be able to discuss what we've been discussing during the show, for instance, because people are really reluctant to do that and to admit it, admit, you know, I have this bias and, 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 or, mm -hmm. and, and, and talk about it. Because if you don't start there, I, you know, as a social worker, I guess I keep hammering on that, but then you the, <laughs> yeah. the, the change becomes cognitive you know and and you know adhering to the rules and what you're supposed to do but that doesn't really get you anywhere and and, and i you know mm -hmm. um right in terms of in terms of the organization for instance i mean because there is research and maybe you could talk about this we don't have that much time less when you're when companies are able to do that or organizations are able to able to um be diverse, have diversity and inclusion and equity, what that does for mm -hmm. the company, what that does for the bottom line, because let's face it, that's what organizations, that's what they want. How's this going to help my bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that is actually my focus. Um, when I walk into an organization, usually it is, you know, um, it's not diverse. I, I focus on two things. I focus on the brain science, which is objective makes people feel comfortable because it's something that, that's quantifiable. And then I focus on the next thing is the bottom line, as you mentioned, the business case. You know, um, so there are tons of research and studies out there. One is by um, Inc. Magazine. They did an article that says companies who have diversity are 52, 152% uh, more likely to um, understand their clients' needs when they're working with diverse markets. And obviously that leads to more sales, leads to more innovation, leads to um, market share, increasing market share. Um, one organization, as uh, a financial services organization, hired a person who was Latina and um, within months increased that particular um, market share by 225% just a month. And so it's not hard to really, you know, those are the numbers, but it's not really hard to to um, comprehend when you have a market that you're not tapped into and you have someone from that market who knows the, the how the community of that market works, how the buying uh, power and the, the, the hierarchy and families and, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's, a, it's really a no-brainer, right? And so, um, however, companies still, you know, when we get to the top level of organizations to, to really do the work, they want to hear their numbers. They need to hear the case studies. They need, and one of the things I always say to them, and I know we're running out of time here, I'll just say this quickly. At the end of all my stories, you know, and they sometimes laugh and it's interesting. They, they love numbers and facts. I say, okay, so the last case, case study is, um, does anybody remember what happened to Blockbuster's? <laughs> because that was a comment that was a that that's a case in point and, and um business case for diversity because you know netflix came along to blockbusters and actually pitched them to partner with their organization but they were too young they didn't have enough experience so in that case it was age bias and experience bias 
And, you know, everyone knows the story, but they may not know the details of it. So I talk about that. And when you can show people in history, based on history and, and numbers and, and brain science, then they become believers. And once, you beca- once they become believers, then they're willing to walk the path of, the, of doing the work of a diversity, of an inclusive leader in a diverse culture and organization. And so that's what makes, I think, us different than um, our, our counterparts, because my background is engineering. We focus on the business case, the brain science. We bring people along in a different way. We make sure that everyone is included. And then later on, we have the hard conversations. It's not because we, we make them have it. It's because at that point, they want to have it because they feel comfortable and they feel included. So it's just a, a, a an evolution, I guess, is what you're saying. You you yeah. don't have to convince yeah. them. Yeah. Can you give us give us one example of a company that is an an ex, a prime good example who does do what we what you've been what we've been talking about? Um, who is very success uh, you know very successful at including diverse people in their organization. Uh, sure. So it it was um, the competitor of the company I mentioned earlier, which is a um, one of the competitors, uh, another large engineering consulting firm, um, construction management um, firm. They actually, I think, they built the um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, memorial uh, in downtown Washington D.C. Um, so working in their organization, uh, they spent the money. Uh, that was number one. They lean all the way into this process. And when I say lean all the way in, so we say in our business where we always say lean in, what does that really mean? They spent money. They trained all of their employees across the United States, um, 7,000. I was a part of that. Um, And they actually leaned in and not only just got the basic training, but they got cultural training, cultural awareness. And when you went into the organization, you saw people who are different backgrounds, who had different, you know, different classes that you saw people, different genders, different sexual orientations in different positions, not just at the lower level of of the organization. They were in leadership positions. And one of the things that I was, I think um, later on, I met the CEO of the company and it was because of him. It was because of who he, uh, who he was, who he, who he developed himself um, to be. Because I end up, we end up doing a pro bono uh, project up in um, up in upstate uh, New York, Catskills. Um, I think it's Catskills. I'll come back to me. That's not uh, something skills. Anyway, um, <laughs> everything so is talking to skills and skills in upstate New York. But anyway, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so, in talking to the, the CEO of the company, um, I could tell he was committed to this process. Um, not only did he show it by opening up the checkbook and writing the um, the check, but actually bringing the work to the communities around. He he worked with a, a, far, a farm to table organization, and he, and we partnered with them to bring pro bono um, training to that organization. So it wasn't just something that he talked about. He talked about experiences in his personal life. He talked about having maybe and making mistakes. So he had done the work to say, hey, I'm not perfect either. And I'm willing to to roll up the sleeves and put money behind it and make an initiative. And this was before Freddie Gray, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies were scrambling to try to figure it out because they are they're being responsive, proactive, um, reactive versus being proactive. Again, this is organizational development 101. 
So the companies that do it well, they're not made to do it. They're not doing it because it's an initiative. They need to check the box. HR is pressuring them. Stakeholders are pressuring them. The media is pressuring them. They do it because they want to do it. They do it behind the scenes when no one's looking. And those are the ones so that are So in other words, are, he are did successful. it. We only have one minute left. I hate to interrupt you, but he okay. does it because of yeah, who absolutely. he is. That's the kind of person he is. And you need absolutely. more people like him at the heads of these mm -hmm. companies. But that may be the lesson. But um, just give us quickly, website or websites we can go to for more information about you sure. and what you do in the book. Zip, Yeah, what's your zip code story? And yeah, what's I, your zip I've code been talking story? to Please CJ check Gross. It. Check. Yeah. What's your zip code story can be found on Amazon um, or anywhere books are sold. And people can find the organization at ascensionworldwide.com, ascensionworldwide.com. My individual website is cjgrosstalks.com. And I, and I love to connect with people on LinkedIn because I have, like, a lot of crazy, weird, interesting videos around diversity that you don't think about. I go to the motocross track and I shoot videos about diversity there. I go scuba diving and shoot videos about diversity there. So it's very diverse. <laughs> great, great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. We got to talk to the next guest, but uh, I really appreciate Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank Lots you. Of, yeah, good information. CJ Gross. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm -hmm.